Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm your host, Matthew Fox. And I'm Eric. And we have a pretty exciting show. Welcome to 2023. We got our first official 2023 movie released. We also have a wider release of one of the best movies of 2022 finally getting out there. We've got Netflix's final movie of 2022 that we'll be looking at in White Noise. And Eric and I each give a personal pick from last year that's something that spoke to us that we hope you will enjoy when you've got some free time. Uh, but first, we will kick it off with the aforementioned best, one of the best films of 2022 that's finally getting seen by more people as Women Talking this weekend opened a little bit wider. It made the festival circuit uh, in the fall of 2022. It was at TIFF, which was in September, and it's been slowly making its way out. It was an Independent Spirit nominee. Uh, I believe it was one of the Golden Globe nominees. But not that many people had seen this film, which is about uh, women at a religious, um, I guess, religious society, commune. It's a little bit, they they don't uh, say that they're... yeah. Uh, it's 2010, but it's sort of this colonial, secluded, yeah, of people. And they don't say that they're Mennonites or um, I forget the uh, the other ones. I just totally blanked the the Amish. But you kind of get the feeling that it's a little a little bit that way. This is based on something of a true story, but it wasn't a story that happened in America. And Sarah Polly and her screenwriter adapted it. And basically, the women discover that some men in the community have been um, taking advantage of the women in the community, including young girls. Uh, the men in the community take uh, the offenders to um, society jail, but they're expected to bring them back. And the women have essentially 24 hours to decide on three courses of action. Stay and do nothing. Stay and fight. Or leave. And they're talking about all the women in the, in the community. Uh, and so they take a vote. Um, not a highly literate society. It's a very male-dominated culture. Women don't attend school. Um, so they actually have to vote using symbols. And when the voting is close, members of three families are elected to talk it out and make a decision for the community. And that's what this movie picks up is uh, generations of women uh, discussing these options, discussing what it means and what it means to move forward. And they have one man who is a school teacher, Ben Wishaw, who is there to keep a, a record of their discussion and that what leads to their decision. And it's a very simple setup. And a lot of this movie is exactly what the title says, groups of women talking. And yet that goes nowhere in terms of doing justice to how riveting um, this film is, how emotionally engaging, how incredible it is, and how time just flew by for me when I was watching it. Um, some incredible performances. Uh, great cast. You know, I liked Ben Wishaw. He's on He's on the short list. Rooney Mara does a nice job. Jesse Buckley does a very good job. Uh, for me, Claire Foy was, um, you know, probably the best performance for me. Um, she's, she's seemingly likely now um, to get an Academy Award nomination. I've long enjoyed her performances. Uh, but this was a movie that... Um, you know, it was a, I've said before, it was a great year for films made by women and about women in 2022. It may not have been a great year for women in general, uh, 
Uh, but in film, we had some very powerful stories. Um, and this was a top three choice for me. And I gave it two thumbs up. And I'm going to right off the bat say I did too. Uh, and uh, I got to say between Jesse Buckley, Bucky, Buck, Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy, um, th- this hit so hard. And it's funny you mentioned that about the time. I thought of this as being structured more like a song or a poem than a screenplay. And I could really, you could really feel that there's like a central theme and a central question that it's driving towards. And you just want to have every single character like have a hug, but feel safe. It's so the music was, I don't know, perfect for what it was. You can hear a bit of the score in just the trailer for it, but it's got this sort of rhythmic folksy sort of, you know, beat that is that is keeping things moving and that's sort of the sense that you have is that if these characters don't move they're gonna die (laughs) like and that's you know feels awful to say but the impassioned speech from claire foy regarding the length she's willing to go to to keep people safe and the exploration of guilt the commitment that jesse buckley's character has to her community and the struggles that she has with that i couldn't like rooney mara i thought was also fantastic in the movie but the two of them it could be a two-person show where one of them is just like we need to go the other one is like we need to stay and they go back and forth and they just ran the whole thing but Every actor brought something to the table. The community was believable. And that was an interesting thing about adapting this from something that didn't take place in America and taking it in this sort of colonial, bizarre period piece feeling thing, even though the period is 2010. And it it just absolutely gutted me. Like, and I just, yeah, great. Two thumbs up. Yeah, there's a scene for me when um, Claire Foy is taking her daughter to get treatment, and they're like, oh, that was so long. And you're just kind of seeing it play out uh, in video as they're talking about it, you know, the depths of what a a parent will do to protect their child, um, you know, and to try to save their child. Sarah Polly was a co-writer here, director. I think she does a fantastic job. She has seemingly remained on the short list for directors, and I really hope she makes it um, all the way through. We have had a pretty tremendous string the last few years of uh, women who have done some phenomenal jobs um, directing, and I hope Sarah Polly gets the recognition uh, that she deserves. And just one thing real quick I wanted to clear up. I I mentioned this, but I wanted to explain a little bit the screenplay structure. The interesting thing about it is almost like these these moments where they have a break from talking and something happens that motivates the characters feel like hooks while they're talking feels like verses. It really feels like a song. And I thought that was fascinating. Anyways. Yeah, it is a very moving score. Um, it's, you know, it's potentially on the score shortlist. There are a lot of things that this film should get recognized for. I'll be curious to see how it does. I'm just excited more people are finally getting to see it and getting exposed to it. 
Our, uh, our second film up is the first new film of 2023. I will, uh, I think it's safe to say it's the most overhyped film of 2023 so far uh, because people have just been going wild for Megan. Uh, big horror movie released on the first Friday. Uh, Eric, I will let you lead off with your thoughts. All right. I plan on talking about this movie on three different platforms. So I'm going to try and say this week, at the movies, you have the opportunity to go see a story about a woman who does not know how to raise a daughter other than to help it bond with the robot toy that she's created. And the relationship between the robot, which is seamlessly composed from between animatronics, masked actors, uh, puppetry, like I, I don't I don't honestly know how they did everything that they did. But I can tell you that every trick they have up their sleeve is in the trailer. And I can tell you that uh, the every thoughtful thing that is brought up is dropped before it can be fully explored, I believe, except for the relationship between the creator of Megan and the girl bonded with Megan. And I thought it was really touching the way that they handled their relationship. But other than that, this movie feels like every 10 minutes they needed to come up with a new thing. And I know that's not the case. I know a little bit about the behind the scenes of the writing of the script that you have a concept and you have the bones of the concept and you're filling it in. But watching this movie, it's like you can almost click at a certain point where it's like, okay, we're not dealing with this anymore. Now we're dealing with a group of kids and how they're going to react to the group of kids. Now we're dealing with the stuff with her office and whether or not they're going to sell Megan as a toy. Well, then let's drop that completely and wonder about a social worker and a therapist and whether that's going to work. And they stay so compartmentalized that it's almost like there's different movies we keep cutting back and forth between. And so I honestly, at first was just going to be neutral on this, but I'm actually going to give this one thumb down because in the end, I saw so much before I even went into the theater that when I finally saw how disjointed everything was, it still felt like watching a longer trailer. I feel like I haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts. This this one, you know, James Wan uh, made the original story, but doesn't do the script here and doesn't direct. Would that have made a difference? Perhaps. You have three kind of common tropes that they they do a fusion of here. You know, one is uh, the creator who doesn't realize they're wreaking havoc on their own child. Two, the people that think they can build. Uh, AI at the forefront of technology and control every aspect of it. And you can't, and you never can. And then the creepy doll, you know, you kind of have these three things fused in here. And I will start by saying that we're not really talking a lot about plot or production or anything, because this is fine. It's perfectly serviceable for what it is. You know, a hundred percent what it is. And that's probably my biggest problem with it. The marketing campaign after having seen the finished film gives away not like 90, but pretty much a hundred percent of the plot. And worse than that, uh, because I don't know that it's the kind of plot that would have been hard to determine anyway, it gives away some of the best 
like I, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. That sequence where she comes out and she does a weird dance in the hallway before she grabs a giant sword to go after the guy. If you had not seen that in the trailer, and there's no reason it needed to be in the trailer, that might have actually gotten a laugh or a chuckle. But I was in a reasonably full theater, and it was kind of a oh, there, okay, you know, and it's. PG-13, you know, there's, from the good standpoint, if you were, um, you know, if you were looking for a kind of horror movie that you could take, you know, we had a, my wife has a a friend whose daughter is 11 and said, oh, she really wants to see it. What do you think? And I was like, well, they don't use the F word. There's no sex scenes. And in terms of a horror movie, you're not going to find one that has less gore. There's only uh, a body count of four plus a dog. Um, you know, so it's it's pretty tame. I thought Allison Williams was fine. The little girl is fine. The ending was stupid. Um, but the ending for all these, the ending was stupid in a way that belies that they think they should make this a franchise. Don't. I do. Oh, you mean the not. very ending? Please. Yes. Oh, oh. Okay, because I kind of yes. like the third act kind of thing, but oh, the the that when the robot gets going. But see, the problem is, I also. It's an hour and 42 minutes. It should have been like a crisp hour and 20 because you know what's coming. All you're waiting for is the robot to come unhinged. And there's a little bit of too much time. I'm, I was in hindsight, not entirely sure why they spend so much time showing how good she is about helping this girl overcome her trauma. I it just I mean I did give it thumbs neutral. I just I I just thought it was perfectly fine, but I had if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. Yeah. Yep. Ultimately, that's the way it is. I don't know if you had anything else. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. I'm trying not to talk too much. I I <laughs> essentially Oh no, actually I forgot it. I'll remember it later. Well, we'll move on to uh, the third of the new films we're looking at is White Noise, which dropped on December 30th on Netflix. One of the more anticipated films at the end of the year. And I'm going to tell you, one of the more frustrating ones for me, it's based on the Don DeLillo novel, comes from Noah Baumbach. It's set in the 80s and uh, focuses on, I think it was the 80s or it might have been the 70s. I saw so many movies at the end. Now I'm going to have to look it up. It's set in a decade past. I think it was the 80s because they had Reagan stuff. Now I've now I've started to question myself because hairstyles there. Let me look it up. Uh, it has Adam if it Driver. the 80s, they did a very good job of realistically taking a look at the yeah, idea. It's that 1984. Thank God. The I, 80s I was like, was I was pretty sure. Off of the 70s. A lot of times people do like 1980 and pull all of the iconic costumes and hairstyles and stuff. It's like that stuff wouldn't have become popular gradually over time. You don't hit the 80s and immediately, you know. I knew it had had to be the 80s. I don't know why I questioned myself. Anyway, uh, it has Adam Driver, Don Cheadle, Greta Gerwig, pretty loaded cast. Uh, And I'm going to say that two thirds of this movie, I was all in. I thought... I love this movie. I loved the writing. There is a early sequence between Don Cheadle and, and Adam Driver 
that I thought was one of the best that I saw. Uh, the writing was crisp. There was uh, strange happenings going on. Uh, they end up evacuating through this weird, mysterious cir circumstance. There were strange happenings going on in the family. I, I loved the way they set up like this supermarket. Then they had a third act that I don't know what the hell happened. It completely lost me. And then they come back with a closing credit sequence that was probably the best I saw in 2022. And so this was an incredibly frustrating film for me because at times I was like, this is going to the top 10. And at times I was like, I don't know what I'm watching. And all, I ended up giving it, I think, like three stars when I did it. I was wrestling. I was going to do thumbs neutral, but I'm going to give it a slight thumbs up. There are things about Adam Driver and Don Cheadle's performance that closing credit sequence still makes me laugh when I think about it. And it's a movie that had pieces that had me thinking about it for a long time, no matter how frustrated I was by a third act that seems to diverge from everything that came before it. I would be very interested to read the book this is based on because I cannot tell for the life of me what they were trying to say, uh, you know, what, what this, the adaptation of this story was now movies can be entertaining in their own right without having to have like a, a point or a message or some sort of hidden theme or something like that. But I agree a hundred percent with you that, the first two acts of this, the when you have like the personal stakes going on between um, Adam Driver and his family, that suddenly gets whittled away to just Adam Driver. And everything else seems secondary. It seems like we're hard-lined into caring about what he cares about and lose all investment of the, the children who cared and know what was going on with the medicine and whatnot. And we just we just sideline into this other completely different feeling movie for a second. And I, if, if it was more of that kind of uh, almost, almost Coen brothers feeling type thing, it's like, it's like you, you swing from Wes Anderson to the Coen brothers randomly and go ahead. And then right back to Wes Anderson for and the then, credit sequence. And that, that was the part that I was like, this and, can't uh, be real that's the thing when the credit sequence happened it felt so much like they were telegraphing something and i couldn't tell what it was like i i'm just i i enjoyed it i give it one thumb up and i enjoyed it mostly for the performances and noah bombach has such a good ear for dialogue a good ability to write and a good ability to write there you go that's professional so um no I I just I, I had fun watching it but I would like to know so much more about the making of this and I feel like I would appreciate it more if I understood what they were going for. I'm kind of with you you'd almost have to read the the book and and this could be a case where you know he tried to faithfully adapt source material and this is where the source material takes you. I don't know if I you know there's this early scare with the possible cloud and they go to an evacuation. So I was vibing with all of that and it sort of ends without kind of it felt abrupt the, the way it ended. Mm -hmm. And then you're on to this thing between him and his wife and the weird drug dealer and the weird affair. I mean, and it's, I, and I didn't care that much about that. And I thought it was strange. 
it's like it's it's almost like there's this idea of facing death like your life is so complicated and filled with things and it could be stopped at any second and there's this this both of them are afraid of it and they have to come like nose to nose with it and but i that's that feels forced and it feels like i'm trying to make something out of something that's just trying to be entertaining so yeah i mean that's why I said for me, it's almost one of the most frustrating movies of the year because for a while I was like, I'm all in on this because Ricky told me I, I had asked him before and he was like, eh, it was OK. And I'm through two thirds. I'm like, oh, you missed the boat on this. And then I hit the third act and I was like, mm, did you not like <laughs> I sent him a message? Did you not like the third act? And He's like, bingo. And I was like, oh, because, you know, I was like, oh, no, this is me. This is me. Oh, I'm off. I'm off. I'm stepping off the train. But then. I could watch that credit sequence like once a oh, week. Never. Just, just for I, I enjoy that song. It's pretty I don't spectacular. Know. It was pretty yeah. well. Well, before we get out of here, we both of us wanted to leave with a personal pick from 2022, a movie that we enjoyed that's kind of stuck with us. Uh, something that you can go find when you're looking around. This can be kind of a thinner time uh, for films. You're usually trying to catch up with what came out in 2022, waiting for some of the bigger releases in 2023, although we won't have to wait that long because uh, February starts to look pretty loaded. But Eric, your personal pick was the uh, action comedy Bullet Train, which I know was one of your favorites. Why don't you take it off? It was. It was just one of my favorite, like, rides sure pun intended like of the year like uh, just every performance in it was serviceable to uh, well apart from joey king but that's a whole rant for another day um oh you didn't like joey king i was not a fan of just in this film or in general just in this film um, I like I, th- I have so many weird feelings about this movie, like like Brad Pitt's casting, because I think he does an amazing job with that character. But I feel like that character was written to be someone who's like, I don't know, younger. I, that's a bizarre thing to say, but because it's supposed to be like, oh, I'm retiring from this job, but I'm not. But I don't know. Um, it's uh, directed by I don't remember a specific name, but uh, I think it's David Leach. He directed Deadpool, too. And you see a lot of familiar faces from Deadpool 2. And just that there. The actors getting to come in, do a little bit of stunt work, throw a few quips around. And then the end-all be-all is Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson as Tangerine and Lemon. They absolutely own the movie. And I would love to see like more of those characters. And just more of this sort of... If this if this could be a blockbuster where people are allowed to put a slightly smaller budget out and we get a ride where a bunch a couple of actors get to flex their character muscles and get to you know play and have fun and do some crazy stunts and have it be paced that well, I could watch that every 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 week like you say about the ending of White Noise like I I it honestly. It was just so surprising to me that I liked it so much, even though I, I kind of had a suspicion that I was going to because of that director. Um, so yeah, I just I gotta fully recommend. Michael Shannon comes in late in the game, and like that's one of the cameos that I'll uh, spoil because he's not really a cameo, but he's fantastic. Everybody in this movie either either just understood what they were doing, or the director is really good at directing actors and. 
just i like the picture that you put up the picture is a good showcase of the tone of the movie that you're watching yes and you'll spin away to watch the entire story of how a water bottle got into the right place at the right time and it's just I'm, I'm here for it i'm here for the water bottle i rooted for a water bottle so that's bullet train yeah and for me it was another movie it wasn't uh disguising what it was but you know it was just happy to be what it what it is and um i thought it was fun i did enjoy brian tyree henry and aaron taylor johnson quite a bit um they get split up kind of early on i've seen a lot of people talking about how they'd like to see uh, them in in their own movie um and they're you know i i'm with you i liked the little uh stories that they told kind of how everyone got there and, and how it all kind of intersected was good. I thought Brad Pitt was fine um, in the role. I think they had him there so that they could have the the cameo who was his handler, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure they must have, you know, she must have been paying off him doing a cameo in one of her movies that had come out earlier in the spring. Uh, so it was a little, it, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it uh, for what it was, and I thought it released about the perfect time because, you know, by the time you get to August, you're almost blockbustered out, but you're not ready to have serious stuff yet because it's still like the dog days of summer and you're holding on to the idea of summer. So I think it came out at the perfect time and uh, was probably a movie that just didn't uh, didn't get as much love as it should have, owing in part to when it released. Uh, my pick I went the documentary route. It was a big year for documentaries. And um, I have to tell you, when I saw Apple TV Plus was releasing a Selena Gomez documentary, I in no way ever thought that was a movie for me uh, or that it would end up in my top 10 or it would end up being my favorite documentary of the year. Uh, I am not a huge pop music person. Um, in fact, if you were to ride with me on a daily basis, you'd hear an awful lot of NFL talk radio. I know that's going to shock you, Eric. Uh, but my most, what I was most familiar with Selena Gomez is I love Only Murders in the Building. Um, and I I had been super surprised uh, at how much I enjoy her on that show when it kicked off in season one. Season two was also very good, just narrowly missed making it in, into my top 10. So I was kind of curious about this. I was not prepared for how, um, emotional and engaging it is. She is very open and honest throughout this documentary covering a period of, it was either five or six years uh, with her struggles with mental health. And, you know, mental health and mental health issues are such a prevalent thing in our society and something that so many people don't like to talk to about and don't uh, and try to hide and try to avoid and to see her being so open and honest and showing herself at the height of fame, but at her lowest mentally um, was at times devastating. Um, it gave me a much greater appreciation for her music too. When she's talking about through it, the, the stories and, and the place she was in her life that went behind some of these songs. And it was just a very powerful uh, film. It was one that, you know, I, I was completely enraptured by. I had actually downloaded it. It came out in uh, early November on Apple TV plus I had downloaded it and took it on the cruise with me. And I was sitting on the balcony looking out at the ocean 
watching and listening to her story and I was just deeply moved. It's been a couple of months and it has stuck with me. It was my favorite documentary of the year and I hope more people um, get a chance to look at it and really think about their own life and their own mental health and how important that is, especially going through these times where we live in a bubble on social media and going through a pandemic where we've in some ways become more isolated as the society it touches on all those things. And it was just really moving for me. I look forward to it. Yeah. Apple, Apple had a good slate that came out the exact same day as Causeway, which was my, one of my favorite scripted movies. They like drum, dropped them on November 4th, kind of together unceremoniously. And I was like, these are two fantastic. Those were the two that I downloaded when I was on my cruise uh, and it was just, um, I loved both of them. Well, that will wrap it up for this first episode of 2023. Next week, we will be back uh, looking at a couple of new films. A Man Called Otto is another one that had limited release at the end of 2022 that is now going wide. And of course, our first big action film of 2023, the ubiquitously titled Plane. Because Wing was taken or... <laughs> but you know what Mike Coulter Gerard Butler can't go wrong uh, until then we will see you guys at the movies